0: Mindfulness Mode.
1: You don't need to sit on a cushion on your backside for 20 minutes a day to do meditation.
0: Hey, Mindful Tribe, welcome to the show today. It's so good to, to be here once again and to have you here listening. I'm here with a meditation coach. I'm here with someone who has a very memorable uh, name to her business, which you'll find out about in a minute. She teaches entrepreneurs how to figure out what works to become a happy person and to be upbeat about life. She's been observing the subjective experience of the mind through formal and informal studies and there's so much I could tell you about her she's well studied she has a somatic psychotherapy diploma a bachelor of psychology honors thesis on loving kindness meditation and a two-year diploma of mindfulness and compassion She's been practicing loving kindness, insight, and other meditations for almost 20 years. So I'm here today, I'm here with Wendy Nash. Wendy, are you in mindfulness mode today?
1: Uh, maybe, maybe not. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, it's really good to have I you feel, here.
1: I feel suddenly put on the spot. Am I mindful? Oh, no. Crap, I'm not <laughs>
0: well, that's the point. I'm putting you on the spot. <laughs> and well, tell us what mindfulness means to you
1: awareness of just being here in this moment. Because um, that's all there is. You know the past has gone you know we hear this but i really got that one time i was cleaning the toilet and i was it was a sunday morning i didn't have anything to do particularly and i i was like i should be finished this by now and i thought well what is this should time this is the first time this body, this mind, this toilet brush, this toilet, this apartment has been coming together in this constellation for the first time and the last time ever. There is only this time. The should time is a fictional time that is pointless. So it's a nice, nice idea, but it's not where we are. So, so it's just here. Everything happens in this very moment. That's what it means to
0: me. Thank you for answering that. I want to talk about anger because I was reading about you and it it said in your bio somewhere that you used to have a lot of anger and that I think you've moved through that. But tell us about that angry time in your life and how you were able to then move through it and get to the other side.
1: I, I do. My focus is loving kindness meditation. <laughs> That's for difficult people. Let me tell you. The difficult people in our lives give us a great opportunity, actually. I want to, before I go into that, because I have had to work through it, but I think what I'm, I'm going to step through, I broke up a little bit early and I, I wrote out uh, some points and I'm just going to step through them all mm-hmm. and then at the end we can come back because I think, and, and I'll answer that question because I did, I, was, I had a really foul temper and I had very good therapy and I had meditation to support me. And I slowly learned to look for what was positive in life. So that was it. Just any act of kindness that came my way, whether it's the space that you provide or my partner, um, we've only been together for two and a half years. He, he earns money in order for me to be able to do this. You know, these are he keeps me in a healthy space, and he supports me in my endeavours, they're not small acts. I think we can overlook them. So a big part of my practice, in fact, I run a course for my local community, which is a meditation course on how to be happy without doing more. And it's these small practices of looking for small acts of kindness where people have done something that makes me feel at ease or well, Or cared for, that perhaps I might overlook. So that's a big part of my practice. But I would like to talk about the mind. Is that okay if I? Yes, it
0: is. Yeah, let's talk about the mind.
1: Because without the understanding, the mind. Well, you know, what does it really mean to be mindful? And this has been my own exploration through meditation. As I said, I've been doing it for twenty years. I've worked through a lot of trauma. And I do want to say that meditation is not a cure for traumatic, it's not going to, don't do that. Don't think meditation is going to resolve your trauma experiences. You need something like EMDR or whatever works for you, but this is not the place for that. But it will help just support that process of becoming less traumatized and becoming nicer. So even if you're not traumatized, if you, if you apply this, what I'm about to step through, you will be, just become kinder because you will be less nulled and knotted in your mind. So first up, I wanted to talk about the mind. Um, when we become aware of the mind, when it's agitated, no three o'clock in the morning, he said, she said, she said, he said, it's not there, all those kinds of comments. So that's the agitated mind, and that's when we become aware of its effect. And it becomes agitated because it recalls a time of hurt. We felt hurt by something that someone did. And this time of hurt is probably recalling when we were in an interaction with someone and we sensed the other person was indifferent to our needs and feelings. So can, you, you can probably recall a time in, in this moment where you go, oh, yeah, actually, they were just indifferent to my needs and feelings. And in that interaction, we need to get through, in the original interaction, not the worrying mind interaction, we need to squish down feelings that are going to make us feel hurt and also put us perhaps in an unsafe position in the relationship. So we squish down those feelings and just get through the interaction as safely as we can. It's a time of high arousal. And then later at three o'clock in the morning, when it's a bit quiet, that's when the mind says, all right, all clear, you need to look at this. And so it starts to connect with the feelings that we squish down and it won't let you think of anything else until you've really connected with the feelings. And this is the part of the mind that's called the ego. That's often what it's called. An ego has a really bad name, but it's actually got this absolutely beautiful, beautiful function. It tells you that you are hurt and you need to engage with the emotional landscape here. So what that part of the mind does, it doesn't have the capacity to engage with emotions. What it does is it stops you feeling hurt. And as part of that, so you know, in those conversations where you've got he said, she said, she said, he said, and then I, and then you, and then it's not fair, those ones you'll notice there's me, I, and there's you or them, and there's this there's this point of separation. Okay, we feel separate, but that's actually you in your own mind that has created separation. So it's a mechanism of the mind. It's not, it's not that you are separate from them. It's you feel separate from them. You cannot be separate from anything anywhere. It's not possible. But you can feel separate because that's a, I don't, what it says is I don't want to feel hurt again. So that's what that separation mechanism does. In the same way as when you've got a pain in your body, it's like, ah, oh, my hip hurts. It's like, well, I, my body, me, I, we're all connected. I'm not separate from my hip. It's just a warning system saying things are not really kind of hunky-dory in the same way the worrying mind is telling you, you're hurt here. You need to inquire about this. So... um yeah, so that's basically it. And then I can talk about how to work with the agitated mind. But that's basically what I, I, my place at the moment is understanding that.
0: Wendy, I'm reading in your bio that back in your 20s, you lost quite a bit of weight and kept it off for a long period of time. Is there any aspect of mindfulness that helped you achieve that?
1: No, is the short answer to that. Okay. Okay. I, I, uh, It was before I was even aware of any of this. So I'm in my mid-50s now mm-hmm. and that was in my mid-20s. So I was seeing a psychoanalyst. Mm-hmm. But I do think it is helpful to, it did help me understand that I needed to connect with emotions that was making me eat when I really didn't need to. So I've never gained that weight since. But it is because I got to a point where I realized the reason I was gaining weight or I didn't feel I had any control over my weight is somehow I didn't wasn't able to own my hand. And it wasn't until I realized that if I put food in my hand, then I will eat it. But if I don't put something in my hand, actually, I won't eat it.
0: That's so- fascinating. That is a really fascinating thing that I've never heard anybody say before.
1: So, yeah, I can't say it was mindful. I'm sorry about that. (laughs) Don't mean to burst your bubble there.
0: Yeah. No, you're not bursting my bubble. I just find it really interesting because a lot of people struggle with that and and a lot of people do lose weight and then put the weight back on because Mm -hmm. so many people, you know, find that they are eating for emotional reasons.
1: I do want to say that the forces are against you. So this is we are the most obese we have been throughout history, and that's not because humans have particularly changed. It's because our food is rubbish. Yeah, we have takeaway food everywhere. It's poor quality. It's uh, high high speed processing. A lot of the food is um, just creates you to gain weight. It's now they're looking at the ultra high processed foods what they do is they absorb into the body higher than foods that are, you know, an ordinary carrot or, um, you know, we make our own bread and because we use like ingredients from the beginning right through to the end, Mm -hmm. it hasn't got any weird stuff in there. But Mm -hmm. all that weird stuff will help you gain weight. Yeah. so the more whole food you have the better it is but if you are eating for emotional reasons I don't think mindfulness is a cure for that and there are certainly exercises you can do mindful eating but I, I if I look back on that time I would say it was because I felt I mean I was deeply traumatized for one thing I had, mm-hmm. and my younger sister and my father died and terrible things and I failed school and. It was a very, very complicated childhood. And so I had a lot of, I didn't know how to navigate those emotions, and it was through psychoanalysis. In those days I saw a a psychoanalyst.
0: Right, right. I want to talk about exercise. How does that play a role in your life?
1: Uh, I actually don't like exercise, so I just want to put it out there that I am not one of these super, oh, wow, I love exercise. It makes me so fabulous in the morning I do exercise strictly as a functional thing (laughs) because I think because my father died and my my sister died and my grandparents died all within 10 years so that's a lot of stuff for a small child to absorb through the the world around about the impact of carers and you don't stay healthy for yourself So we're obsessed by, I want to look good. But actually, if you don't take care of your health, you lay a burden on the people around you. And I'm not guilt tripping you. I am saying, don't think of weight or health or anything as I've got to look healthy. Think of it as if I don't take care of myself, I'm going to be a burden on somebody else to care for me. Mm -hmm. And then there's some kind of responsibility that we have to take about making sure that we are caring for ourselves in order to not burden other people.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a really important thing to think. I, I know that you have a philosophy that you live by every day and I think that is very powerful about the time will pass. Can you tell us about that?
1: Oh, you'll have to refresh me. That must have been. I've just. In, I've changed my website, so I'm in the process of changing my website. So it might be a little bit old. That. Tell, well, you, tell me you me wrote. More. You
0: wrote there. Someone once told me, "The time will pass, and either you'll have done it or you won't. It's up to you." Ah.
1: Right. So that was that was when I was at university and I had just started, I, as I said, I failed school. I had very complicated situations. So I thought I was stupid and everybody else thought I was stupid. And it took a lot of coaxing for me to get to university. And I didn't find it easy. People said, oh, you're really clever. You'll love it. And I didn't love it. I loved the reading, but I hated the exams. Mm. And somebody said to me, well, you'll get to 50 and either you'll have the degree or you won't. What do you want? Because that had come from somebody else that he knew. And I thought, yeah, well, I want the degree by the time I'm 50. So that's, that's where that comes from.
0: And so you became 50 and you had your degree. So. I
1: did. And, you know, I I do say that it did teach me about how to structure thought it ha- it has been beneficial so for people who do struggle with that it 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 is difficult it does end one day like having children it does end one day i remember right. my mother saying the nappies they do stop one day i don't have children but
0: yeah, yeah. well you have a four year diploma in somatic psychotherapy can you tell us what you learned in that uh, period of time, what is somatic psychotherapy and how did that improve your life?
1: Wow. What what did I learn? That's a really good question. I think there, there was another student in the class and she said, you know, I've had relationships with men, with women, I've got a huge family, I've worked in lots of different places, I've had lots of different people in my life, and I've realised the one common denominator in all my relationships is me. So that was, was just one of those comments that another student made, but it was very profound. But I learned about people basically have three core ways of responding in life. And people are either um, a burdened, enduring character. So that is, they see life as a burden. They endure things. They work a lot for the well-being of other people. They find it very difficult to care for themselves. And it, and then there can be this sort of moralistic overtone, which is to say, well, they're not dedicated enough. They're not working hard enough. So that that is a particular one, and that's actually a, a particular character that is prone to burnout so if you're burning out and you have that character then learn to say no because saying yes all the time just means you're going to not be you're going to be a no-show better to be a no than a no-show so that's that one Mm -hmm. another another character is the sensitive withdrawn character and that's somebody who tends to be very intellectual and at the moment of physical arousal, we'll withdraw. They often like the mindfulness practices because it's very, very uh, calming of the mind. The burdened enduring character is very good with the devotional practices, you know, likes to do lots of prayer and practice that way. The sensitive withdrawn character tends to approach life sort of, um, they tend to be quite thin usually. Mm-hmm. Um, and the last one is the expressive clingy character, which is me, and that tends to be very quick to temper, very expressive, but also very oriented to clinging. So I tend to I notice I hold on to conversations on the phone a little bit longer, and I'm very socially dominant. So I've, there are several times in this conversation where I've just taken over. So that that expressive clingy type will do that. Um, yeah, and. The practices for us is more of the love practices.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, when you work as a meditation coach, tell us a story of someone you've worked with where that has really helped them.
1: So I can tell you that uh, I worked with somebody for about three years, and he's actually just somebody I bumped into in the street as it happens. Oh, really? Yeah, just around the corner from where I lived. And I told him what I did and he always wanted to know and about meditation. Mm -hmm. And when he started, he was somebody who was not, so he he would fit the sensitive withdrawn character. He was nervous about what impression he might make on other people. He felt lacking in confidence because he didn't have the expressive clingy style, which is very bombastic and cocky and out there. He felt that it was difficult for him to assert his voice. And in the time that we've worked together, he's he's learnt to own his own body. So he left the corporate world, which is where we were, where he was when we met. And then he started his own business and it didn't work out. It turned out there was a whole area of research that he hadn't looked into. And that particular type of AI reader was a very technically challenging one to do, actually, mm-hmm. um, and so it fell over. But in the meantime, he did lots of pitches. He worked with co-founders. It didn't work with those co-founders because they were not on the same page as him by any stretch. And he, but he, he just took every moment as an opportunity to think, well what feels right here how 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 can I sort of feel what is good to take out of this and which bits do I want to let go of let go of for this that don't work out and because he's been I guess fine-tuning what works for him he's he actually went back to the corporate world and he became an absolute rising star. I mean, he was a very likeable character anyway. But then he got these incredible managerial skills, interpersonal skills, ways of thinking and systems, documentation, really streamlined. And he was on a one-year contract and they were like, wow, we'll basically give you whatever you want. Can you come back? Mm. So, So that that's where he's at now and he's just now decided to go traveling and I said well here's a meditation practice for you look at a tree really observe the tree and so he's not going to be doing that so he's becoming so much more curious about life about his place in the world he's more able to assert his needs in relationships he's clearer as a manager he's better relationships with his family members he always had good relationship but He understood his father a lot. Most men have issues with not feeling approved um, by their fathers, and Mm -hmm. most fathers don't show open approval to their sons. I haven't quite figured out why this is, but that seems to be a a lineage that that carries through, which is difficult Mm -hmm. for for boys and men.
0: Yeah, it is. So that's
1: that's an example, yeah.
0: Yeah. I want to ask you why you felt so strongly that you called your business Kindly Cut the Crap.
1: I am a very no-nonsense person. And initially I thought Cut the Crap, but it's brutal. It's a brutal name, and I used to be very brutal, very honest. I was angry, you know. I'm sure you've met people who speak their mind. I've got Mm -hmm. my dearest friend. She loves the bold and the beautiful, and I'm like one of those characters that used to speak my mind. This is how it is and it's brutal and it's unkind so then through my loving kindness practices I learned to be kind to myself and so then I learned to be kind to others you think about it when you've changed some part of your life you've transformed in some way that wasn't because you were brutal with yourself it's because you did it through an act of love to yourself a kindness It wasn't shaming you or saying you're useless. It was saying, I can do this. I want this. It's a very subtle, subtle difference there.
0: Yeah. I always ask a question about bullying, and I want to know if you have a story about bullying where maybe mindfulness might have made a difference. Oh,
1: I've been bullied a lot. Have you? I have been bullied a lot throughout my life. I would say that um, that's been probably the one consistent theme. It started in my family. It kept going at school and then it went all through work. Mm -hmm. And I think that, and I am a feminist, but I think there is something about women that is not always kind. And my understanding speaking with guys is they have this thing, don't be that guy. Does that sound familiar? You know, you don't want to be that guy who is the bad loser, or don't be that guy who you don't. But women haven't got that mechanism yet, and it's their downfall. So don't be that gal who behaves badly, who bitches about other people, who. Don't don't be that gal. I want to really say that to any women listening here. Don't be that gal. If you're tempted, don't. It won't lead to good things.
0: Mm, good so, advice. Yeah.
1: yeah. So could I have been mindful? I don't know. I think in the last job that I had, it was a very prestigious organisation. I wasn't in a position to leave. What I did do is I put up with the bullying and... I applied my daily practices. So there's something called the 37 practices of a bodhisattva, and I converted them into a phrasing, and I used to recite them every morning before my meditation practice. And that helped me. So if I wanted to bite back or bitch or whatever, that stopped me. So perhaps that answers your question.
0: Right, yeah, it does. How long do you meditate daily, and what does your meditation practice look like?
1: So I meditate for an hour and 10 every day. I like to meditate at least an hour and 15 if I can get my partner to tag along for the ride. He's not so keen on that. Um, And what it looks like is I sit down and I set an intention and I say, what needs to be known about this? So my current inquiry is, feeling alarmed. You know, I had this difficult childhood, so I note my body is quick to alarm. And I ask, what needs to be known about this? That's a particular question. And what it does is every time my those thoughts come up, which are very worrying I then go, what needs to be known about this? And it's led me to this whole understanding about the mind separation, I, and it's given me a real sense of appreciation about the importance of that part of the mind, the agitated mind, and the gift, the wisdom, because I've been really listening to the mind throughout my life. And I guess that's what started me on this journey. I'm much more formalized by it. But I do that, and it, it started off with separation and hurt and all sorts of different understandings about that I. And it takes about two weeks to do a full set, I guess, from beginning to end. That's what I do.
0: Right. Interesting. As we move closer to the end of the interview, I want to ask you five quick answer questions. So just 30 second answers are perfect. The first one is this. Who is one person who has been a powerful mindfulness influence for you?
1: Uh, not so much mindfulness, but it would be Dame Cicely Saunders who started the hospice movement. She had such presence of mind. She was Catholic, and she interviewed me, well, she spoke with me for 30 uh, 45 minutes, and she saw not this pretty young woman in front of her, she saw the soul of me, which was in deep pain and distress, and it made me see that we can see other beings in a different way.
0: Interesting. Tell us about emotions and how mindfulness has helped you to deal with your emotions.
1: I've only got 30 seconds. Um, It helps me acknowledge that they are true and they are not separate. They are not difficult. They are not foreign. They are part of me and are valid.
0: Let's talk about breathing. We haven't talked about that yet on the interview. How has breathing played a role in your mindfulness practice?
1: I don't like breathing. I don't like anapanasati actually. I think it's a really boring practice, and mm-hmm. I haven't yet figured out why people do it, because it just seems to not be one that I like. So <laughs> there you go.
0: Okay, there we go. And uh, are there any books that you would recommend which are related to mindfulness?
1: I love John McCransky's Awakening Through Love. That book was transformative for me. I would recommend, that's the one book I recommend. It's excellent. It has loving kindness. It has stillness. It has breathing. It has has everything. Start at the beginning. It'll take you a whole year to read because each chapter is a separate practice that builds on the previous. Amazing book.
0: Very interesting. I'll check that out. Tell us about an app. Are there any apps that help you with your mindfulness practice?
1: I I was introduced to this app by a client, uh, Waking Up by Sam Harris. Mm-hmm. That is the one that I always recommend because I've listened to it a lot. I've listened to Sam Harris's talks and he's very solid. He's very knowledgeable. Like John McCransky, he has an excellent, excellent lineage of teachers Waking up, there's two versions, seven-day free one, which is twice the price of the 30-day free one. Good, 30-day free one. And it's, yeah, he's very solid. I get my clients to do that. It helps set them up in a practice.
0: Well, that's so interesting. Well, as we wrap up the interview, do you have any final words of advice for our listeners?
1: i I have a PDF of five meditations to do on the go. So you don't need to sit on a cushion on your backside for 20 minutes a day to do meditation. You can do this through life. So if you would like to do that, kindlycutthecrap.com. There's a contact box and then it goes through the MailChimp system, whatever that is, and you get a PDF. Uh, but you don't, it's not nearly as hard as it looks, and don't start with the difficult stuff. Do something easy. Life life is too short.
0: Definitely. Thank you so much for being on Mindfulness Mode, Wendy. I really appreciate it.
1: It's my pleasure. It's been lovely to talk to you, Bruce.
0: All the best to you. Bye now.
1: Bye-bye.
0: Hey, Mindful Tribe. Thanks for listening to the show today. And thanks for liking and reviewing the Mindfulness Mode podcast on whatever app you use to hear the show. That really helps our our program, would you like to feel more vibrant and have more energy and more clarity? Well, Dr. Mark Hyman is known as the father of functional medicine, and he's put together a step-by-step program that will help you overcome the psychological and neurological symptoms that might have been dulling your mind and draining your life of energy and joy. This can help with you know, that low feeling you might have. It can help with anxiety, ADHD, Alzheimer's, autism, also more subtle symptoms like brain fog or memory loss. The program is called the Ultra Mind Process. Fix your broken brain by healing your body first. For you, Mindful Tribe, Mark is offering a special discount of 60% off. You can get this special offer at mindfulnessmode.com slash Mark And that's H-Y-M-A-N. Note, this is an affiliate link. I appreciate it if you use this training and you enjoy it and benefit from it. And with that, take what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.